Good morning, family. I think we all know that uh, life can uh, feel like a roller coaster sometimes, right? Uh, you're up, you're down. There is all kinds of thrills and excitement, and sometimes life just feels terrifying, doesn't it? We uh, we could go on a ride and and say, "Please get me off." And there are sometimes when you finish the ride and you're like, "Oh, that wasn't so bad. Let's let's do it again, right?" And and on a roller coaster. It has all kinds of twists and turns, and many times you find yourself upside down, and sometimes when you're riding the ride, you can see the change in the curve ahead, and sometimes it just seems to happen in an instant. Um, and, and there are times when we go through life, and we, we ride it as a group, and there are sometimes we feel like we're just riding life alone, all right? So what we're going to see today is for the Israelites, that... Uh, that roller coaster ride is about to start hitting them pretty good. Uh, so again, we've been going through the series of, of God's story. Uh, we've been looking at, again, how God creates the universe. He creates man. We sin, rebel. God, God casts them out of the garden, but promises that there's going to be redemption. And so he calls out Abraham and he says, you're going to be my chosen people. And he makes this promise to them and he reiterates the promise to to uh, Isaac and, and Jacob. Uh, and then there's a famine in the land. And they head down to Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, they're enslaved. Uh, and then they call out to God. And, and God brings them out of Egyptian slavery. And he passes them through the Red Sea in this miraculous work of parting it and where the waters just come crashing down upon Pharaoh's army. Uh, and in Exodus 15, if you guys want to turn there, that's where we're going to start our passage of reading today. In Exodus chapter 15, this is where the Israelites, as they come through on the other side, they essentially sing this song of praise to God. Now, I'm not going to read all of chapter 15. I'm going to read a couple select set of verses here. But starting in, in verse 1, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his armies he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have come and covered them and they sank to the depths like a stone. So there's this exaltation where God, we thank you for, for saving us and destroying Pharaoh's army. And then in verse 11, it says, who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people that you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. And so now they're highlighting God's character. God, you are amazing. You are holy. I mean, look what you did. Nobody else could do this, God. And in your unfailing love, you will lead us to where you want us to go. And then in verse 14, the nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away 
Terror and dread will fall upon them. And by the power of your name, they will still be as a stone until the people pass by, O Lord, until the people you brought pass by. And so because of what God has done, all of the nations will hear about you and they will fear you because of what your mighty hand did against the Egyptians in that Red Sea. And so after they sing this song, now they begin to move through the wilderness. So now we hop down to verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. So they're going, they're moving through for three days. Again, you've got all this stuff, and I'm sure very quickly they're running out of water, they're running out of food, and they're like, hey, what are we going to do here, Moses? We're getting a little thirsty, right? I, I mean, what, what's going to happen to us? Uh, and so they, they go and they see this water, and they're like, oh, great, but it's full of all kinds of mineral salts that, that if they drink it, it's going to taste not good to them. Uh, and I could imagine this picture where they get all excited and they go rushing over and they're like slapping up the water like, oh, yes. And like, you know, they're spitting it out all over the place. And they're like, oh, we can't drink this. Right. So this this great moment of hope now has turned into great disappointment. And so Moses rightly turns to the Lord and he says, God, we need your help. And so God says, throw this stick into there. It'll become sweet and the people could drink. And so that's what God does. And so by another miraculous work, a crisis is averted. And they can clearly tell that this water that they were not able to drink, they're now able to. And God has provided for them. And so now in verse 25, part B, then the Lord made a decree and a law for them. And there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you will pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases that I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. So God makes a decree. He, he lays down these principles for them, and, and he says, look, what you just experienced, guys, was a test. Okay, that was a test. And I want you to know that if you just obey me, if you follow me, what I did to the Egyptians and all of those plagues, I will spare you from that. Okay? But, but you got you to follow me. And then God guides them to this watering hole where, where they can replenish and refresh in their shade and they can rest. So, so not only has God provided water, but now he's given them a place to sit beside and just kind of take a little bit of a recovery time for them. And now chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and the Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said, if we had only died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. 
But you brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread, bread from heaven for you. The people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in. And, and this is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that, that you should grumble against us? And Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord that when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread that you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. So they start traveling and they're, they're hugging the, the Red Sea and they're, they're making their way down the wilderness. And as they continue to go on, we know that this is a month in because Exodus 12 tells us that, that the day that they left. And so it's a month into the journey. And they're starting to feel it again, right? We're, we're, we're getting thirsty. We're getting hungry. It's tired out here. Uh, and they start to grumble against Moses and Aaron. And I want us to understand that every time they grumble against Moses and Aaron, they're really grumbling indirectly against God. That's really ultimately what's going on here. And, and notice the level of complaining now. Because at first, the first time it was, well, we're thirsty, now, what do they start to do? They really start to throw a fit. And they're like, it's horrible out here. I mean, did God just bring us out here to die? I mean, I'd rather would have died in Egypt. Remember Egypt? Remember when we had all of that food? I mean, we had pots of food. We like just ate our bellies full when we were there. Why would God bring us out here? And so God steps in and says, okay, Moses, listen. Let the people know that when they wake up, there's going to be food for them. Everything's going to be okay. All right, I, I will provide for their needs. But again, th this is another test. This is another test for, for my people, Moses. They need to hear that. They need to understand that. Because I want to know, are they going to obey me? And out of this, God said, they will know that I am their God, that I am the Lord. So God's going to show up in another miraculous way for his people. So now in verse 13. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And, and when the dew was, uh, was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person that you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told, and some gathered much and some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. And each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. And so Moses was angry with them. 
I have to feel like this probably felt like Christmas morning, right? They wake up and there's just quail running all over the place. And there's all this manna on the ground. And they're like, what is this? And Moses is like, that's your food, guys. Go and eat. God has provided for us. But he says, but listen, guys, here's the rules. You only get an omer for each person. And that's a little less than two liters. So think of it kind of like everybody got a bottle of soda worth. Okay, that's all you need. That's all you need to do is go out and collect what you need and you'll be fine. But some of them don't. And they go out and they gather as much and much as much as they can. And so when the next morning comes, could you imagine that sight? You've got all this food and there's just all of these maggots crawling through it. And the stench, I'm sure, is probably just coming all through the Israelite camp. And Moses, it says, Moses, again, God really was angry. But this process continues. And on the sixth day, they're only they're now supposed to take double because they're going to rest on the Sabbath day. They're going to rest on the seventh. So when you go out on the sixth day, it's okay to collect two days worth. And so they do this. But what happens? Some people go out on the seventh day and they're looking for food and they're like, where did it all go? And in verse 28, the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Moses, they're not getting it here. What's the problem? I don't understand. And so this process continues. And in verse 35, it tells us that this would continue for the next 40 years as they're in the desert, that God would provide the manna and God would provide the quail for them. And so they continue to travel and they continue to go on their way. And now we're in chapter 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. But Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty. And they grumbled against Moses and they said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah. Because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So again, they're traveling, there's no water again, and they're starting to continue to argue and quarrel against Moses. And again, really, they're just quarreling and arguing against God. And Moses is like, why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep arguing and complaining? Why are you challenging God time and time again? And I love what they do, because now they're like, why did you bring us out here? I mean... Why did you bring out us 
and the children and all of the livestock. I mean, these guys are like politicians at this point. They really know how to pull the heartstrings. What about the children? God, what about all of our animals? These, these poor innocent people and these poor animals, God, you're going to let them die as well? And so Moses is like, God, I, these people are about ready to kill me. I, I don't know what you want me to do anymore. And he says, go strike the rock and I will bring water to drink. And so they call the place Massa and Mirabah, which means testing, trial, temptation, or, or to protest, to have contention or strife. Be, because you said to me, is the Lord God not among us? See, they're here and they're like, where's God? I thought God is supposed to be in our presence. I, I thought God was supposed to be with us, Moses. I don't see him. You need to help me out here because I don't think God's with us. You told us he was, but I really begin to doubt that. Now, I just want to pause for a moment here. I don't want to make excuses for the Israelites, but I want us to walk a mile in the sandals here of these Israelites. Okay? I want us to be a little bit fair. They did go from slavery to freedom. right? They were enslaved and God brought them out. And what is freedom to them? It is walking a desert. It is hot, it is dry, it is tiring, and they are out of food, and they are out of water. And you also have to understand that when God says, I only want you to take a little bit, well, these are people that grew up in a herding and agricultural community. These are people that have spent their entire lives saying, when the harvest is good, when there's an abundance, you take as much as you can get because we always know that there's going to be a dry spell. So whatever we can get, we need to have ready because we know times aren't always going to be good. And so now God is like, wait, just take just exactly what you need. We've never functioned like that our entire lives. That's not how we harvest. I've got women and children and animals to feed, God. Now, most of us have probably never wandered a desert. So I tried to think of a different picture analogy that we might understand. Think of it like the world's worst vacation ride. Okay? You pack up all of the luggage. You've got your kids in the car. You've got the animals in the car. And you're driving on this long, long, long journey. And we all know what starts to happen. Everybody gets a little antsy. They start to get a little cranky, right? I'm tired. I'm hungry. He's hitting me. She won't stop touching me. He's annoying me. When are we going to stop? How much longer? How much longer? And you're like, I've already told you we have 10 hours to go. So please stop asking me. And you're starting to lose your patience, right? And you look in the back seat, and there's just trash everywhere now, and everyone's super irritated with each other. And you see the sign, and it says, last rest stop for the next 100 miles. <laughs> and you're like, oh, man, I got about a half a tank of gas. I think I could probably make it, because I really don't want to be in this car any longer than I have to. But boy, these kids are really starting to get on my nerves. It probably would be a good idea if we stop and we get out and we stretch our legs and we just take a break. And God steps in and says, 
I want you to keep driving. And you're like, uh-uh, God. I, I think that's probably how they're starting to feel here. God says, just keep going, you'll be all right. And we shake our heads, no, we won't, God. But again, we look at the Israelites and we shake our heads at them. and We go, how could they not? I mean, God just walked them on dry land through the Red Sea. They just saw the miracle of the Egyptian army getting killed. And then God provides water for them. And then he provides quail and he provides manna. And then they're going to complain again. And we're like, don't you see that God has continually provided for you? I don't get it. And they complain, and then they start to rewrite history. Slavery wasn't that bad. Man, it was a great time being under Egyptian thumb. Boy, if we only could go back to those days. I mean, it would be much better than us coming out here to die. That's, that's where they're at, right? But if memory serves me correct, that's not how they felt. Exodus 3 tells us that. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. I mean, guys, let's be honest. When you were there in, in slavery, you were crying out to God how miserable it was. You wanted freedom. You wanted redemption, and God stepped in and gave it to you. And then you complain about it. But I think if we're going to be honest, we do the same thing, right? How many times have we questioned the goodness of God? You know, we go through hardship. Sometimes we go through hardship because of our own stupidity and our sins. Sometimes we go through hardship because of the sins of others. And I think sometimes we go through hardship because God's testing us. And he's saying, I want to know what's really in your heart. Are you going to follow me or not? And the thing that's crazy about this is the Israelites were on the path that God was leading them. And they were still struggling. God said, follow me. Right? I'll be a pillar of fire and a cloud. Follow me. And so they're following God. And they're like, God, following you is miserable right now. And I think we need to realize that sometimes life for us, our experiences, are not always punitive. God is not always out to punish us. But sometimes God is trying to educate us. And I think we miss that. And I think more so... For the Israelites, they had selective memory and they lost track of the vision of the future and they just kept looking at the past behind them. And we're in the same boat, right? You know, when we go back to Exodus 15, 13, when they're singing praises, what did they sing to God? In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your unfailing love, you will lead your people that you have redeemed. And again, we do the same thing. We stand there and we praise God 
and we exalt him and we glorify him. And then when life becomes dry, we start to question him. So in one moment, we raise our hands like this in praise. And then the moment life starts to get bad, our hands go from this to this. And we start to ask, just like the Israelites, God, are you not among us? God, aren't you with me? God, I thought you made me a promise. I thought you said you'd always be there to care for me. I don't, I'm not experiencing that right now, God. God, are you still around? Have you abandoned me, God? Is that what you've done, God? You, you've asked me to follow you, and now you're just going to let me die. You know, when we go through tests, I think we, we, we get it backwards. We go through a test... And every time we go through one, we ask God to prove himself to who we are. And we keep trying to tell him, God, you need to prove your goodness to me. That's the way we set it up. And let's be honest, most of the time when we say, God, prove your goodness, really what we're saying is, God, give me my material needs. That's really what I want. Now, don't get me wrong. Having something like food and water is extremely important. But I think if we're honest, what we're asking for from God is for our material comfort in life. And what God is saying, it's not about your comfort, but it's about where your heart is. And I think no matter how much God would ever give us, you know what? It's never going to be enough for us. We're always going to want more. See, the, the point is not for us to test God, but again, it's God is testing us. Because see, here's the thing. God exists, and God is who God is, regardless of what we believe about him. If I don't believe God to be good, it doesn't mean that God is not good. God continues to be who he is, regardless of what I think or believe about him. And so God doesn't have to prove anything to us. We're constantly telling God, you need to show me who you are. God, you need to do this for me. God, if you don't make it rain down a wad of cash right now, then I'm not going to believe in you. That's what we do to God. And God says, whether I do that or not, it doesn't change who I am. Because again, the test is, are we going to love and follow God? So in our times of trial, that's what God wants us to know. Is he our Lord and Savior? God wants us to grow a deeper faith. And that can be hard. Because sometimes in the trial, we're absolutely confused. Sometimes in the, in the trial, it doesn't make any sense to us. Sometimes in the trial, I'm afraid and, and, and uncertain. And there are times in the trial where I feel absolutely just desperate. And I'm just saying, God, where are you? 
And here's the reality. It's easy to say that I have a faith in God when everything is great, right? But when I have to start walking in the desert, that's when my faith is put to the test. And that's when God says, you said it here, but are you going to believe it over here? But you know what? In the dryness of the desert, God demonstrates who he is time and time again. You know, he, he heard and he saw his people in, in 16 and 17. Just like he saw and he heard his people in Exodus 3 when they cried out to him. God wasn't aloof. God had not abandoned them. God did not turn a blind eye to them. You know, in 1611, the Lord says, I heard their grumbling. I hear you whining and complaining, guys. I see the misery that you're going through. I know you're struggling. But when the question is, is the Lord God among us? Is God in our presence? Is God with us? The answer is yes, and it is always yes. Because if we go back to Exodus 3.8, after he said, I heard and I saw your misery, he says, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out of the land into a good and a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So when he has Moses there in the burning bush and in the desert, and he's saying, this is what I want you to do. I've heard my people crying, and you're going to take them, and you're going to lead them onto the promised land of somewhere better. And Moses is trying to understand all of this. Like, like who, who am I going to say who sent me? Who, who, how am I going to do this? And God's like, Moses, I'm with you. Don't worry about all of that. And he tells Moses in 11 and 12, he says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this is the sign to you that it is I who have sent you, that when you have been brought out of Egypt... You will worship God on this mountain. He, he says, look, where you're standing right now, Moses, I'm making a promise to you that you will stand here and worship me again. So go back there, call the people out. And when you wander the desert and everybody begins to wonder where I'm at and, and the promises and how I'm going to do it, you are to remember this moment, Moses, that you will stand here again and you will worship me. Because I will rescue my people. The testing of the desert can be really hard. Especially when you're standing at death's front door. When everything seems lost, the only hope that we have left is God. There are places where we come to in life where that's the way that we feel. And what does God do? God reaches out with his mighty hand. And he saves us. And he does it time and time again. In a miraculous work. He shows us that he's God. And the reason why God does that. Is because God wants us to know. That he is God. And he is our Lord. And he is always our provision in life. Now I don't want to gloss over a part that some of you might be thinking in your heads or feeling right now. 
But Adam, what happens if I've been walking in the desert for a long time? I mean, I get it. There are some deserts that do, they seem really long, and some seem hotter than others. What do we have to say about that? Well, first, let me just encourage you to not look back like the Israelites with a twisted reality. Right? They looked back at slavery and thought that was good. I think if you and I sat down and had an honest conversation and said, let's go through what God has done in the past, what you would see is the multiple ways that God has worked in your life. And you'd go, well, yeah, God did show up there. And well, God did do that. And remember well, <laughs> when God provided? I mean, that was a miracle in itself. And I go, yeah, that's, that's the way God works. But, but what if you're sitting here and you're like, but Adam, you don't know the depth of my desert. My desert it's not only been a long, long journey, but it's the hottest it's ever been. I'm exhausted and I'm tired. Adam, I have been abused my entire life. Physically, mentally, sexually. I've had to live with injustice my whole life. What are you going to say about that? I've had to live in dire poverty where my family ate nothing and I was scraping trash out of a trash can. For my family. What about that desert, Adam? Where's God in that? You know, those are some really hard deserts. I think about what has happened in the Middle East, and I think about the attacks that happened to those Israelites or to the to the to the Jewish people. Right? Hamas, Hamas went in and it just slaughtered innocent people in a horrific ways, including children. Where is God in that desert? I thought you said God is with us. Shouldn't God have stopped that? I mean, I've prayed for a miracle. I've prayed and I prayed and God never answered the miracle. What are we going to say about that? Because I just keep walking this desert waiting for God to show up. And I don't want to minimize the compassion here when I say this. But this is, this is why it's important that we understand truth. Especially when things happen to you because of evil and injustice. Those are some of the worst things. It's one thing when we make our own mistakes. But when somebody else sins against us and we've done nothing wrong, that just makes it so much worse. When you're walking that kind of desert, I want you to remember Christ. Christ was hated. He was treated unjustly. And he was crucified so that you and I could live. Christ shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And he died for us. So that we would not have to spend an eternity in hell apart from him. And I know that we want comfort now. That does not change what has happened in tragic loss 
or in tragic hardship. It doesn't change that. But we need to remember in those difficult times that this world is temporal. And I know this sounds probably very inconsiderate and lacks a sense of compassion right now. But this is truth. This world is finite. It is going to pass away. And what we are left with is an eternity that lies ahead. And it will be a blessed eternity where injustice and evil and death no longer exists. So when you are walking in a desert that feels that hard, we turn ourselves to Christ and say, Christ, I want you to show up now because this desert is horrible and I want out. And I pray with you that God would get you out of that desert. But if God does not answer that prayer in the physical sense and in the temporal sense, please understand that does not mean that God is aloof and he's ignoring you. What God is saying is, I have died for you so I can spend an eternity with you. That will be so much better than anything you experience now. So God made a promise to the Israelites that he would rescue them. And he made that promise to Abraham and he said, I am going to save the world. And so when they're wandering in the desert and they're crying out to God, God, where are you? God says, I am going to rescue my people because I made a promise to save the entire world. And I cannot let you die here in the desert. Because he saved us for an eternity. So when we are in a desert, Jesus is always our miracle. Because if we have Christ in our life, we will always find life. And we will escape the dryness of the desert. Let's pray. Lord, I uh, just turn my heart really quick to the Middle East right now. I do pray. I pray for the protection of innocent lives. I pray for those that have been caught up and swept in this, this brutal war that's been ongoing since the beginning of, of time. And Lord, I pray that you would step in and protect those that have done wrong. And I pray for justice, Father. But that is yours to decide. But Lord, I also pray that in this moment that those in the Middle East would come to know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, that their hearts and their minds would, would look at the carnage and travesty and find you. And I pray that for each one of us. Lord, we know that right now that there are people who are sitting in agony and turmoil, even including those in these pews right now. And they're crying out to you. And Lord, you see and you hear them. And you may not have answered. And I don't know how you're going to answer. And I pray that you would provide relief so that they may know that you are God. But Lord, I also thank you that whatever happens to you and I, that God, you are good. You are so good that you sent your cross to die for our sins. 
so that I could spend forever with you in a kingdom that is paved with streets of gold to the sweet blessed sounds of hearing praise and worship to you forever and ever. Amen.